This podcast episode is part of the 8th QED Changemaker Forum in November 2021. In this season, we focus on the concerns of industry leaders across environmental, social, and governance, or otherwise known as ESG issues. They will share their personal perspectives from various industry leadership vantage points to arm us with better information to make even better corporate decisions. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, Principal Consultant at QED Consulting. Our guest today is the Chief Sustainability Officer at City Developments Limited, also known as CDL. She has been an active advocate for green building and sustainability for over two decades. Apart from spearheading ESG initiatives with CDL, Esther also serves on various boards, such as being Vice Chair of the World Green Building Council, Corporate Advisory Board, Asia Pacific Real Estate Association, Singapore Institute of Directors, and Global Compact Network Singapore. She also chairs the ULI Singapore Sustainability Product Council and APREA Sustainability Committee with a view to accelerate sustainability practices in the regional real estate sector. Let's welcome Esther N to the QED Changemakers podcast. Hi Esther, thank you for taking our invitation to come and speak to us and welcome back from Glasgow. Hello, Ryan. I want to ask you, how was COP26? I came back actually on the middle of this month and I spent about 12 days there. I must say it's a very, very rewarding experience. It was really packed with action, with true passion. A lot of agenda within that two weeks, you know, whether it is from the government level or the industry level or private sector business, also individuals. And of course, this year you see, you know, Italy actually focused on a lot more youth in action inside the SEC, which is the Scottish Exhibition Centre, and outside. Because of COVID, they have actually reduced the number of people that enter. Very strict check and all that. Every day we must do ART, you know, send online to make sure that we have a negative result and then you, you can enter. It's a good thing also to control to protect the delegates. Even the first day when I was there, I walked in from the train station to the event proper, I actually saw a lot of action. Some people, some are adults, some are youth, some kids tagging along. It's a peaceful demonstration, let's put it this way. And they have a lot of climate death, climate crisis, you know, save the world and all sort of things. Net zero, a lot of banners everywhere. And uh, what actually impressed me most is the weekend that was there was the hundred over thousand people on the street. And then actually the impression I got was actually two groups of people. One is from the indigenous people. And then the other group is actually from Tibet. It's a group of young uh, ladies, actually, most of them are young girls. I think maybe 20 something speak very good English and with banner, you know, uh, behind them, they were worrying about global warming is affecting their livelihood and their life there, which is something new because at COP25, there were also some street demonstration and all that, but I have not come across someone from Tibet. So this time you can really see a lot of groups in action. The message is very clear. Apart from science, it's very clear that we have to look at, you know, keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees. But I think sustainability is also about the art and science of things, not just about the scientific evidence, the art of engaging people influencing people, the art of building a larger ecosystem 
to drive change. That is very clear. We have to also highlight not just about planets, you know, which is very important. You also have to look at the benefits of people and also economic benefits. And I think one thing very clear that COVID has actually taught the world that the health of our planet is interconnected with the health of people, economy, and business. And a lot of people lost their job, businesses folded, and you know, disruption to a lot of business activities. Economies is very important to people's livelihood. If a company closed door, the people who suffer immediately is the employees and their family. And of course, the value chain, the supply chain, and all that. So I think nowadays we all accept the fact that climate change is not just about climate risk, but also social risk, business risk, and investment risk as well. Yes, from COP25 to COP26, you see a lot more people involved. The youth are involved because they are going to be the ones who's going to inherit the earth, right? Could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about CDL and, and especially about your role as the Chief Sustainability Officer for the benefits of our leaders listening today? I joined CDL in 1995. I was tasked to actually set up the Copcoms department and taking care of like even branding, image, and some advertising, and you know, and all. That was really 20 over years ago. At that time, I don't think global warming, sustainability, you know, if you could recall, nobody really talked about it in our part of the world. You know, we were a little bit ahead of the time, but I think I'm really glad that we walked that journey, started early. Our, you know, focus is very specific. When I joined the company, of course, I have the honours to work with the late Mr. Kwa Ling Ju, who is actually a really a visionary CSR leader and also a nature lover and photographer. So because of his, his love for the environment, he also, you know, keep a very open mind to say like, hey, how can we run our business without causing negative impact to the environment? So that's how we started and that's how I got the job because I was just telling him that, well, I'm new to this industry and I'm a branding, you know, a community communication specialist, but I don't have any property experience. So I was hired because I told him that I think property sector can do better because everybody, you know, live, work in a used property. So I think we have access to people to change the way they use the building. And of course, we can also engage a much bigger ecosystem because you may not be in the industry, but you own a home, you work in a property, how you use the building also can you know, have an impact on the environment. So that's how we started and we came up with this ethos is uh, conserving as we construct. So very simple four words and uh, basically the focus is like how do we conserve the environment, how can we conserve the resources and even the people, you know, how can we do better instead of causing negative environmental impact, we can do better. So that's how we started without any knowledge about COP or Paris Agreement and that was way ahead. And even Global Compact Network was not even established until year 2000. So all those like 10 principles of best practices and all that slowly came in and we learned more about it. In 95, actually, once we started like, hey, we need to conserve as we construct. So how do we do it? Let's engage the internal stakeholder first and all the department head, especially those who take care of new development. How do you, you know, design your property uh, when you acquire a plot of land. How do you actually design it with our architect, with our engineer, with our main contractor, subcontractor, and all these are very complex. We must set our vision that we want to set this as a very environmentally friendly condominium, like what we have done for, you know, in 2002, we launched the very first, we call it eco condo, that was even before the launch of Greenmark in 2005. So we launched it and we call it a Savannah 
Lantana Park position it as the first eco condominium in Singapore using solar energy to power the clubhouse. That was really very new. But of course, over the past two decades, we have expanded a lot in the adoption of solar energy, renewable energy, and also looking into like carbon neutralize it, our Tampines Concourse, one of our commercial property, and also our corporate office since 2009. And of course, now we are talking about much larger scale. So that was actually the build-up to COP, you know, and Race to Zero was actually launched a year before COP26 was launched. And in fact, it was growing so fast. You know, every month we are tracking it actually. The last two months before November, before COP26, it was really like almost double the, you know, the number of countries, thousands over cities and uh, 6,000 over businesses. The largest investors are all on board this so-called Race to Zero. And uh, it is now accounting for all the participants add up to more than 90% of the whole world's uh, GDP. So then you see the power behind it. I am personally very hopeful in a way that we are not just relying on government, you know, uh, commitment, but when there's a business case, investor will come in, bankers will come in, businesses will come in. So I think that will become a bigger driving force than just regulation alone. But of course, you need all parties to integrate and set your goal together that, hey, this is the, the, you know, the North Star goal that we must go to net zero. You make it mandatory, everything will change overnight because that is your license to operate. And I think one thing over the years, I can see a great change is the media. This year, we have seen a lot much stronger media coverage and interest. You know, you don't need to be there. You are so well informed. Almost every hour, you, you almost have real time. You have like tweeting it from the negotiation room, you know. So in a way, I was like, wow, because the last day actually they extended to the 12th, which is actually a Saturday. So I was actually already, you know, need to catch a flight. And in fact, I was, you know, reading the Twitter that every hour is like, hey, what's up now? Or oh, now changing the, you know, face out instead of face out it's now face down or you know cold and all that so with that like you said right there's so many announcements coming on maybe if i can ask you which are the ones which are the key takeaways for you of course race to zero as we have heard so much about it right and of course the largest asian economies have already pledged for it whether china japan south korea and even india you know 2017 indonesia 2016 and even our neighbors you know and malaysia thailand and all that but now of course the challenge is the scientists say that yes you can pledge but you must have a pathway and action plan to ensure that you can turn ambition into result and impact for singapore we are always cautiously ambitious very prudent in a way that we don't want to just pledge something that i would rather over deliver than over promise this is something that i feel that we call it a necessary ambition but you also have to be prudent and I cannot tell people that, yeah, I just pledge first 2030, I may have retired already, never mind, you know. So I think we have to be responsible. That's something that is just a listed company's obligation. So, but whatever it is, I don't want to, you know, I'm not in a position to judge whether Cox is an overwhelming success or the other way around. But I think one thing is undeniable is it has actually helped to raise the level of awareness and concern and also commitment in a way that bring the world leaders together that hey, we really need to set our sight on you know net zero how do we do it but if you don't set an ambitious target 
nothing will whip you from behind. Then the second thing I think I'm really happy to see the leaders, you know, declaration on forests and land use, and which also have very direct impact. You can't divide the planet's resources. In fact, cities and buildings, you know, all only account for about three percent of the landmass in the planet. And the rest is actually, you know, a lot of forest, ocean, and all. So we do need to take care of biodiversity, nature, and all that. But there's definitely challenges. Like for example, you you mentioned the fact that Singapore is a very limited land mass country. So we are a city, and the city is us. So it's going to be very difficult for us to actually say, "Wow,、well, reforestation kind of thing." It's it's very difficult for us given the limited land mass, and I'm quite aware of that. But on the other hand, there are some of these very bold plans, like the ones that we have developed nations pledging to have at least one hundred billion dollars to climate finance. And I think sort of this entire thing was actually missed, and it was postponed. I think to about. 2023 is a very uncomfortable topic to talk about. The fact that yeah, you know, the emerging countries still need a lot of help. What's your take on this? I mean, it's not a very positive sign. It's like we could do more. What would you say to that? Well, this is purely my personal view. That yes, there is a gap from the 100 billion US dollar, but I think yeah, that is actually the last thing that I want to highlight. Finance is always at the center. To drive change, I mean, no business can survive or grow without the support of investors, bankers, and even insurers. So, if I could share with you, there are three very important alliances that was reinforced during COP. The first one, of course, the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, which is actually representing the investors. It was actually established in early 2019 and is really growing. And all these global institutional investors make very clear commitment that they are going to invest in companies, you know, that has a really strong ESG and screen out those that. Who have no climate strategy or you know、uh, not strong in ESG. So this is the first one. And then the second thing is actually very important financial group is of course insurance. You know that in the end of the day, when an infrastructure or buildings you know are damaged because of forest fire, rising sea level, floods, or you know extreme weather condition. Who in the end will pay it up? Because all asset owner will have their property insured. Mind you that actually the insurer lost this year, first half of this year, hit a new high already. So the largest insurance company already give a warning sign to asset owner that the insurance dollars are going to hit a very very new high. You know to add another hundred and eighty over billion by 2040. So if you are asset owner, building owner, you better be very careful with climate. Otherwise, your building may not be even insurable or very high premium. So this is the second group of financial mover and shaker. Then, last but not least, everyone will have mortgage, whether you are individual buying a home or buying a car, and right. So, building owner, property developer, contractor, everyone will have bankers support in order to grow. In November 2021, that is 90 banks actually signed this pledge together to form a net zero banking alliance. Can you tell them that? Oh, sorry, I don't have any、uh, climate strategy. I don't have any year. ESG strategy. You will have problem assessing funds, and how you're going to survive and grow. So I would say that yes, there may be a gap committed by the rich nations, but I think the private sector businesses, bankers, and all that. As an investor, you see, you follow where investment opportunity is. 
So I always fly the so-called ASEAN flag. You see, I'm a, a fan of Sustainable Development Goals (SDGs). So SDG has the fastest growth potential in countries that have poor access to water resources, energy, renewable energy, and mind you, ASEAN is the third largest population. It has been undergoing very fast urbanization. And there will be a lot of buildings coming up, and uh, you know, infrastructure, roads, network, and uh, you know, resources, and uh, you know, energies and waters and all that. So, if I can just change the lens a little bit and focus on Singapore, I mean, what can we do more of, or what are we not doing enough? You gave very good examples of corporations like listed companies are also doing their part. The money is coming in, so you don't always have to depend on governments alone. What about Singapore? Are there areas that we can do more of that you may want to put out as a wish list for the leaders listening in? Well, I think Singapore、uh, government has been working really, really hard, and、uh, I'm sure you are familiar with the Green Plan. The Singapore Green Plan is actually really all-encompassing. You know the five pillars, and also engaging five ministries. The key ministries are all there. You know, national development is like almost everything. Whether it is the biodiversity, you know, the empire, or whether it is building, you know, sector, which is also under MND. Then you have the Ministry of Sustainability and the Environment. Everything about pollution, you know, environment, health and safety. And then you have the Ministry for Transport. You know, mobility is very important. Also, a high carbon emitter. And trade and industry is about bringing in, you know, sustainable building materials and also producing manufacturing in a very responsible and sustainable manners. And last but not least is education. It's very important because you can't just look at the industry, the current users and market. You have to look at the next generation that coming up. So the education, I have always been very strong advocate. You need to shape their mind when they are young. That was also why in 2013 we actually partner with NLB. We opened、uh, My Tree House, which is actually the world's first green library for children from three to twelve years old. It's been around for seven eight years now, doing very well and. It is at the basement of Brasbasa, our central library, and、uh, it actually become like almost like the most popular destination for preschoolers and primary school kids. Of course, apart from fitting it out for NLB, every year we support their programs. So you need the hardware and the software. To shape mindset, then of course that is the younger mind that we actually target at. The other two national platform that we have built in partnership with, like Polycidial Green Gallery, is also a net zero building that we built and gave it to National Park Board at the Singapore Botanic Garden. It's a net zero building. It's a gift to the nations to actually free for exhibitions, you know, entries for people to learn more about biodiversity, greening Singapore, you know, even Malay herb. And last but not least is the industry. We have actually set up a sustainability academy at our city square mall, the Sky Park. We designed and built, and、uh, in partnership with six government agencies supporting it, including URA, MSE, and NPARC, and NEA, and all, and、uh, NCCS as well. So they support us to actually convert this Sky Park into a community and education networking platform. We call it the Sustainability Academy. Again, it is a green building, practical. 
platinum level, net zero, because it is only powered by solar energy that we generated from the rooftop, the solar panels. We gave half of the space to Sustainable Energy Association, SEAS, for their operation, office operation, and also classes. So they have been actually providing capacity building, bringing in technologies and uh, sharing idea, knowledge, and all that with RE Renewable Energy Professional in the region, ASEAN region, not just Singapore. So energy and uh, building goes hand in hand. So that is why energy reset under green plan, apart from the five pillar is the city in nature, sustainable living, energy reset, green economy and resilient future. Almost everything has to do with the way we design, build and manage our property and engage our building users. So energy resets to 80% of all buildings in Singapore by 2030 is a really tall order. We are now at about 40 over percent only. So the next nine years, you are going to have to green the other 35% or more. If you don't have technology innovation solutions, you won't be able to achieve it. And the other 80% is like 80% of all new building by GFA has to be super low energy not just green. Super low energy is actually 60% more energy efficient than the current building code. And the other 80 is even more difficult. 80% improvement in energy efficiency. That is like really like, wow, okay. <laughs> the so-called best-in-class green buildings by 2030. So 2030 is very near. And every time it's like, before you know it, it's like, oh my God, this the December, Christmas coming, you know. All the green plan is so encompassing. And of of course, you also read news about minister already saying, oh, our carbon tax is very low, although we are the, one of the first countries to push it out, but it is very low. They always have a but there. So I think it is also, again, the signs are written, writing out on the wall already that this is just a matter of like, what is the number? It's now $5. So the cost of inaction in a way is very, very high, Ryan. And I was saying that I would use the investment, the fundings to invest in proactive action to invest in technology innovation. That was also why last year, 2020, during Lao period, right, a lot of disruption to the business, we actually almost doubled my team under sustainability because we need a team of engineers to come in to manage carbon, manage energy efficiency, analyze data. So that is how we plan for the future. When the economy, you know, recover, we are all set. We have technology, we have solution, we have innovation, we have the know-how to really improve the performance of our building. That was also why we dare to make that pledge. If we are not careful, you know, I, and we are always, again, cautiously ambitious. Before we, we wrap up for today, I just got this very burning question. We've talked about governments, we've talked about corporations, but what about the individual? What can we do? What should we be doing? Maybe I can ask you for your wish list. How can an individual be a part of this so that we are also contributing to the positive change that is truly lacking and truly needed? I always have soft spot for young people. And uh, in recent years, we have actually supported quite a lot of individual, you know, so-called social entrepreneurs. And a lot of graduate nowadays, before they graduate, they already like invest in a, hey, I want to be a social entrepreneur. I don't want to work for people. So we actually encounter, actually met quite a lot. Of course, some successful, some not. So that is something that I think young people have the enthusiasm, have the creativity, innovation, and the spirit to drive change. You don't need to be a business leader, innovator to drive change. And look at how you reset the way you live, work, and play. Even like two weeks ago, we have a sustainable fashion show just to encourage people to take stock of your wardrobe 
And uh, we also launched a nationwide um, survey and uh, to take stock of your wardrobe. Because, you know, during COVID, a lot of shops are closed and you're already online and all that, right? So online business is really too convenient. Sometimes, you know, you don't really need another pair of white shoes, another black dress, but you just say, yeah, so cheap, you know, $30, fantastic. And buy. Not sustainable, not green. <laughs> yeah. And then, then the packaging is overdoing it and uh, everyone wear clothes, right? So everyone has a wardrobe. So just take stock. We just want people to be more conscious. We do need to support the economy. You know, we do need to we do need to consume, but we also need to be responsible in our consumption. And at the end of the day, I think I I take pride of never throw away my clothes or handbag or whatever. I always give it away. You know, to either secondhand, recyclable, or Salvation Army to you know ship it out to the developing nations and all that. So the recycling concept must be there. So I think these are the things that we can, every individual can do something. Actually, uh, before the lockdown, every year we have a eco bank, we collect used items. Quite a lot of items are actually still have the label there. And uh, we sell it at a flea market, you know, like a flea market at our city square mall. And uh, we raise the money for selected charity. It also benefits a lot of foreign workers as well. So we bring in our, you know, we ask our contractor to inform all our foreign workers to come to shop on a Sunday. So almost everything is like $1 t-shirt, bulk and all. So it's a very, very good event. First, you can take all those the so-called waste from the landfill and you can use this to benefit people who need it. Also make sure that we reduce the carbon footprint. And the bonus is you raise funds for charity. So these are the little, little things that we do as a developer, as a landlord that we have access to all these shoppers, people, tenants. We have a lot of good tenants that donate their item for us to sell. You need a village to raise the kids, but you also really need a whole cities to really change the individual's behavior and also impact. Everyone is involved. Thank you so much, Esther, for spending time with us on this podcast and for the 8th QED Changemaker Forum. Thank you so much again, Esther. Most of all, thank you listeners for tuning in to our QED Changemaker Series podcast. For more information on QED's leadership development solutions, email us at info at qed.sg. That's info at qed.sg. Do remember to subscribe to our channel and be updated on our latest episodes. I'm your host, Ryan Lim, and I look forward to having you in our next episode.